Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, I have 57 pages of notes. I have a lot. I have 57 pages of notes. Granted, I write in 16-point font, and it is like a gay pride flag of emotion. 16-point <laughs> font is actually pretty conservative. I think it's more like 24. I have to be able to see it, Jillian. I, I'm just saying. <laughs> you know what I'm just saying? What? Jillian Pensavale. <laughs> Patrick Hines. Patrick here. Jillian is on vacation this week, which is why you're hearing just me do this intro. And by vacation, I mean she's trying to work just like 12 hours a day instead of 100. All right, just a few things before we get to the show. First of all, if you are on the fence about coming to our hometown live show in New York City at Town Hall this Saturday, which is like four days from now, if you're considering it, just know that we just reduced all of the remaining balcony seats to $25. For just $25, you get to see our live show covering the Jinx, plus our Broadway dancers opening and closing the show. Like, what are you waiting for? TrueCrimeObsessed.com. Click on the CS Live link. Second, one of the main players in today's episode is a woman named Tara Newell. So without giving away any spoilers for those of you who don't know the story of Dirty John, let's just say that Tara is the embodiment of letting the women do the work in the end. I did a brand new, never-before-heard interview with Tara a few days ago, which we are dropping right here in the regular podcast feed tomorrow morning. You're going to want to hear it. She is one of the most inspiring women people I've ever met, known, called a friend in my life. Oh, and Tara is joining us at Obsessed Fest, which is happening in Dallas from October 20th to the 22nd. And lastly, I have four more book party shows coming up before the end of the year. St. Paul and Minneapolis, I'm coming September 15th. Beautiful Phoenix, I will be there December 3rd. Pittsburgh, I'm there December 8th and 9th, but the 8th is sold out, so get your tickets to the show on the 9th before they're gone too. And then Toronto, I'm coming December 10th. You can get your tickets to that at patrickfails.com. All right, fam, let's get to this wild and bananas episode and all of the badassery that is our friend Tara Newell. Newport Beach, number one. I need an ambulance right away. Someone's been stabbed. It's a girl. Do you see blood? Yes. I felt like I caused this. This is the last thing I ever wanted to happen. There are life and death stakes in this story. Many women were terrorized. I met John online. He made me feel wonderful. It was the best feeling in the world. His profile said that he was single, a doctor, everything you want to see in a man. John was very attractive, very, very charming. John Meehan was a serial predator. He went from victim to victim. I knew he was trying to hurt my mom, hurt my family. He said I was a whore and a bitch and I was going to pay for what I did. He broke me in half. I was a good person. Hi, Mom. He's going to turn on you and destroy your life. John is the most dangerous, devious individual that I ever prosecuted. I was worried that John was going to kill me to try to get the money. 
inside the backpack. He had a revolver, hundreds of rounds of ammo. I knew that John was capable of murder. One of the lessons of this story is that monsters don't always look like monsters. John Meehan was a psychopath, but he knew right from wrong, and he chose wrong. You enjoy your time left on this earth, okay? John was evil. This guy grabbed me by the waist. Um, you want to start us off? Yeah. Okay. I <laughs> just have something to say. Your arms are crossed. I'm really mad. Okay, tell me everything. We don't victim blame on this podcast. No, 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 no. We don't do it. Yeah. And I'm, goddammit, not going to start today. <laughs> but it's going to be hard. I'm I I'm going to tell you something. I yeah. think there's a lot of responsibility here. Yes, yes. Because it opens in 2014 with Deborah Newell. Yeah. And she's an interior designer. And I don't think anyone deserved what this asshole John did to anybody. But I think Deborah could have <laughs> done a little, a couple things different. I'm going to say that from the top. And I'm going to try really hard to not be a dick about it. <laughs> I'm really going to try. Well, we need Deborah. Yeah. I got to say, her life looks like the kind of life I hope I have at her age. She's like a beautiful older woman, probably in her 50s or whatever. Mm-hmm. She's got this beautiful home. Right. And she's a designer, an interior designer. In 2014, I was single, having a good time, successful, full life with family, friends and work. And I felt like I had this one thing missing, and it was love. She had it all, but love. Right. <laughs> okay, which is like, fine. Yeah. This is not what, what I take issue with. I want to say one thing. Yeah. Hero Bell for me, mm-hmm. because I don't <laughs> okay. think that John is that hot. Good. Thank you. <laughs> Good. But I want to also say this. Oh, no. He would never have gotten away with this if all these other women didn't think he was hot. Well, yeah. There's a lot of just white privilege, like yes. rich white people totally. action happening here. <laughs> Deborah's part of that totally. in California. She's part of that problem for she's sure. Like, she's like that California, like, I just like want to find fun lamps and love. And I'm like, oh, hey, You just invented a, an HGTV show for Deborah. Lamps and love. <laughs> So Deborah and John meet online. They met on our time, which is like for the 50 over crowd. And that's true. One thing about John's profile that I recall is that everything I was looking for in a man seemed to be in his profile. I wanted a man that went to church, someone that was into his family, successful, intelligent. He's a doctor. He's seems so genuine. Okay, I had this as a note for later, but I'm just going to say it now. Yeah. Isn't there a, a too-good-to-be-true component to this? 100,000%. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, he just ticked every box. But, like, it's also, like, Deborah, I'm not going to give you, like, an award for wanting, like, a family-oriented <laughs> rich doctor. Like, she's not the only person in the world who wants that. No, that's why he was able to do this for 20 years. Exactly. So she's not like, you know, it's just me, maybe, but I want someone who's, like, nice and successful and smart. Good-looking. Shocking, Deborah. Goes to church, like, right. give me a break. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. 
So we meet Christopher Gofford from the LA Times, and he's the reporter who broke this fucking story and made the podcast. Right. But he mm-hmm. also says, he was like, you know, John was out of Casting Central, and I'm like, it's Central, Central Casting. Casting. I had the same note. <sighs> what Deborah Newell didn't know was that John Meehan was a serial predator. He went from victim to victim, took what he could, and found a new one. He would terrorize them. He looked like a doctor out of Casting Central. So if you're going to impersonate a doctor, it helps to look like you belong on the cast of Grey's Anatomy. But we also meet Tara, and Tara is Deborah's daughter. The thing about this girl, she's a fucking badass. Yeah. And there is a little bit of like, she just very much is who she is. Well, they're all very blonde, white California. Uh-huh. They just are. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And sometimes people sound like that. And let me tell you something, upspeak is not a fucking crime. No. People do that all the time. Vocal fry is a thing. We're humans. Yes. I know women, I know it's hard for a lot of people to think that women are also human beings. We are. I'm here to tell you on episode 158 of TCO, women are human beings. Breaking news. Breaking news. Guess what? (laughs) Enough. So it's their first date. So again, red flag city. I am the mayoress. Uh Uh-huh. I voted for you. Yes. And I'll vote for you again. (laughs) Don't vote third party, you guys. No. Our first date, John talked about all his success, his family, a very, very charming, intelligent man. He asked me a lot of questions about my life. It was almost surreal. I'm thinking, hmm, I really like this guy. She's like, he asked me questions. It was surreal. And I'm like, wow, that that dating scene must be really bad. He asked her a single question, and she was like, I'm marrying this guy. Yeah, 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 totally. And then she tells us the story about how he walks her home to her house, and then like apparently invites himself in and then into her bedroom and lays down on the bed and isn't going anywhere. And Deborah is like, uh, no, girl. She screeches on the brakes. I just looked at him and I said, oh, no, uh-uh. You need to leave. And I said, that's not who I am. He was very persistent. Kept saying, just let me lay here a little bit longer. I was quite disappointed. This is so gross. And then she's like, well, you know, he was kind of good looking and he asked me a question. So when he called me the next day begging for forgiveness, yes, I went on that second date. I forgave him. Said, let's start over. Uh, Let's go on another date. And then, you know, like the first few dates were perfect because he's a professional. They always held hands. They would walk and talk for hours. And Deb is so beautiful. And they were soulmates. It's like, John, pull it back a little bit. (laughs) Girl. It's a lot. (laughs) Like for the second date. What did you go to the Patrick Hines School of Dating? Like the second date soulmates. Whoa. (laughs) You know, Steve moved in with me basically on the second date. What? Good lesbian stock. I was raised by lesbians. I'm just telling you, I I knew that I loved him and that we were going to be together forever. And so I basically just made him move in with me. He's not a prisoner, Jillian. He wants to be there. Steve, blink twice (laughs) if you're okay. Then we meet, air quotes, Jacqueline, Deb's other daughter. Oh, God. We have to talk about this for 49 minutes. Jacqueline does not want her identity revealed, so she does her interview in shadow. Right, but they don't change her voice. And, like, no. this is this came out well after the podcast when the entire family was famous. So, right. like, Jacqueline, I see what you're trying to do, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But then don't, don't participate at all. Well, again, it's very easy to think of these women as caricatures. These two daughters are badass bitches. Well, Jax was like, oh, I hated him on sight. <laughs> Jax. I'm going to call her Jax. Jax, call me. Yeah. When I first met John Meehan, his scrubs were torn. I thought that he was a fake. I just had a very bad feeling about him. 
her gut was like, nope. And she yeah. just heard you say her gut and she wants to murder you. <laughs> no, you're good. You're the good gut, Jax. Come on. There's more to life outside LA or whatever. You're gorgeous. Probably. Probably. Your I shadow don't know. is gorgeous. So Deborah and John start dating in October. By November, John basically moved in. So that's the other thing. Like, Deborah tells this story as though it just happened to her. That makes me. She's like, I don't know what happened. I found us a house. I personally moved him in and suddenly we were living. I don't know. It all just happened to me. Like, the problem with the telling of it is that she understands that, like, this is probably going to go bad, but she made all these choices anyway. She wants to sort of tell it as a swept off my feet story, it's even not. though she is illuminating the red the red flags along the way at every step. Right. And I think she says things where, like, she doesn't even know that they're red flags, for example. <laughs> she goes, well, Juliet's really on fire I'm, tonight. I'm you guys. just really upset. She's like, you know, I had fallen in love with John and I just really wanted to get to know him. And I'm like, Deb, what'd you just say? Say it back to me. What do you think you said? You can't be in love and then not know anything about the guy. Am I wrong? I, no, I, you're not wrong, especially at like this stage of life. At this age. So, but here's what we do know about John's family. Yeah, so we go back to 1964, 50 years earlier. John grew up in the San Jose area. And most of what I know about that period of his life, I learned from his sisters. John had a father who romanticized the gangster lifestyle and the gangster ethos and brought John up to believe that if someone crossed you, you went after them twice as hard. If they wronged you, you broke their legs. You know, if someone crossed you, you go after them twice as hard. And I'm like, what a shitty way to start, like, to just, like, mold his little brain like that. And so John tells Deb, oh, the reason I don't talk about my family is because they're all dead. Right. <laughs> And we learned that in reality, he had two sisters who were alive and well and living in California. Right. And then we meet Joe, his best friend. Oh, my God. I was John Meehan's best friend from 1974 to 1985. From 1974 to 1985. I'm like, that's specific. I wonder why that is. Stay tuned. Here we go. So he's like, you know, John was very smart, studious, of course, never mentioned his family. And John's parents had a really bad divorce. John, of course, blamed his mother for uh, everything. Uh, I wonder where that came from. Like a fake gangster father, probably. Uh-huh, mm-hmm, Great. Mm-hmm. But then we learn that John really wants to make a quick buck. So he pitches the idea to his friend Joe of being gigolos. You guys... <laughs> Gigolos, that's right, I said it. Because they said it. John just came up to me and he said, we can make so much money doing this gigolo thing. We would have sex with older women and we'd make all this money. A couple hundred bucks a pop. Back then, that was a lot of money. So here's the thing. We see pictures of John, and John's a very hot, like, handsome, older guy, whatever. You just said you don't think he's hot. But, like, but I can see how people would be attracted to him. Okay. This guy, Joe, does not look like a guy that, like, older women are going to pay to have sex with. Right. So so <laughs> he's painting a picture where they were supposed to be these, like, young, hot studs. Just a gigolo. Yeah, and everywhere, everywhere I, go. I go. They were gigolos, Jillian. And, and Joe's, like, just to be, like, super specific, they were much older women. Right. Like, really wanted to get some Uh and this kind of sparked the idea that like oh like older women kind of want like a young piece like me (laughs) young hot piece like me says John in his stupid Uh dumb brain Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so that's kind of what sparks this whole thing again trying to manipulate older women they were gigolos I know is that a thing I mean I think it's just sex work 
work, really. Like, right. I mean, it's, so yeah. It ju- you just never think of it. What a world. I know. What a time to be alive. Time to be alive. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I guess jiggle is our thing. In conclusion, thanks for coming to our TED Talk. <laughs> so yes, med school is expensive. Right. <laughs> Some people take a second job or take out a loan or yep. something. Mm-hmm. What did John do, I wonder? John became a Coke dealer. Because, you know, you can't be one thing without being another. He started to dabble into drug sales, cocaine, and he started selling large amounts. He started getting real big. He started bragging about how he was cutting the Coke, and it was like half the grade it was when he got it. He saw green. It was money, money, money. All hours of the night, people were coming over, three, four, five in the morning. And I saw a change in John. First of all, I guess you can't be like a small-time Coke dealer. He is dealing large amount, like kilos and kilos of Coke. But it also seems like if you're dealing cocaine at the level that John is dealing at this point, that's your full-time fucking job. You're not a student anywhere. Right. And the thing is, like, we have Joe here to tell us what happened. Yeah. So Joe's like, okay, so one day John's like, hey, bro, uh, <laughs> can you help me get three kilos of cocaine for some associates of mine? Oh, my God. And dummy Joe is like, yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. You know, and I was dumb. I was not, I wasn't the big dealer like him. I said, okay, yeah, yeah, I got some guys. I went and set it up. And also, like, how does Joe also know where to get three kilos? Who are these associates? It makes no sense. Like, how do you do this? So the next day, partying, coke everywhere. And the freaking ATF busts in. The door just came a hole through it. Say, ATF hit the floor. I was scared shit. So then all the cops, according to Joe, according, according to, to Gigolo Joe, Joe <laughs> the cops put pillowcases on everyone's head uh-huh. and put them all in different rooms so that they could like find out who the snitch was. Right. And Joe today is like, I knew who the snitch was. I knew it was John. And John doesn't deny it, not for a second. Right. And apparently this is like the largest bust in Santa Clara history right. to date or something. <laughs> And so John's like, hey, Gigolo Joe, yes, it's me, I'm the snitch. Because the thing is, you can't go to med school with something like that on my record. So I, John, have decided that you, Joe, are going to take the fall for me. Yes. And I was like, so that's why the dates are so specific about why they were friends. (laughs) That's exactly why. So after this drug bust, because John's the snitch, so he doesn't, he just like rats out Gigolo Joe. Yeah, gets to go back to school. Right. So he goes to college in Arizona, and then he graduates, and then he heads to Dayton, Ohio for law school. And in Ohio, he... He meets Tanya Bayless. And this is in 1988. Yeah. So now, again, because this documentary has everybody, we see Tanya. Tanya's telling us her own story. I was working as a nurse in the operating room, and I was out that night with a group of co-workers. I just made my way to the restroom, and I was stopped by John, which turned into a conversation. The way she told this part of the story... I know what you're going to say. She said, he stopped me on the way to the bathroom. That's how they do it. I'm telling you. Yeah. I know you're listening at home. Someone else has been through this. It happens all the time at bars. Hey. I mean, it's horrible. But she says, she's like... I did not give him my phone number that night, but he knew where I worked. And so he called to the operating room the next night and had me paged. He had her paged in the operating room? So it's one of those stories where you feel like in the moment, maybe she thought it was kind of sweet, but it is also an insane power move. And like in this moment, I was thinking about like all the male doctors. Mm -hmm. No one said like, this is a fucking red flag or this isn't allowed. Like some random fucking stranger you meet at a bar that you told where you work is just allowed to page you in the fucking emergency room. Right, but the thing is, she's like, John made me feel great. I would say that I was naive 
you know, he said all the right things. You're really pretty. I'd love to get to know you and, you know, any chance we can go out. And I was flattered. I think I fell in love with John because of his attentiveness towards me and his interest in me and how good he made me feel. So they dated for a year. They got married. And, you know, when you get married, maybe sometimes there's family involved. John (laughs) says he didn't invite his family because he was so embarrassed by them. Uh But then we see the video. We see video from the wedding night. And Tanya is telling us. Well, not the wedding, like the part, the reception. (laughs) The reception. Not that kind of video, you guys. Mm -hmm. No, no. But, like, it's the reception, and, like, I guess all of John's friends are there. And Tanya is telling us today. The wedding video, I was so excited to watch it. But I noticed in the reception time with all the guys, you know, have had probably too many drinks. One of them refers to him as Filthy John. Let me start by saying this. John Meehan's nickname is Filthy John Meehan. All of these fucking idiot dudes are like, oh, bro, bro, bro. his nickname was the Cruiser. We call him Filthy John. And, and Tanya like sits him down and is like, girl, why are they saying that? She's like, let's go to the videotape. Right. Click, click. <laughs> what is this? And this is another thing that you can easily explain away. Like, whatever. They're just drunk. Like, don't worry about it. We yeah. really, it was an open bar, whatever. And that's, you can explain that that away totally then tanya tells us that like a few years into the marriage mm-hmm. one of the little stones was falling out of her her little wedding ring right and she goes to have the stone replaced sure and the jeweler took the ring and said you know this isn't real right and i got uh, i pretend i said yes yeah i said yes because that's humiliating. And she's like, uh, yeah, I totally knew. And she's like, because this is mortifying. But I don't think Tanya means it like that. Like, if you're poor, when Steve and I got married, we bought rings in Chinatown and they were $30 each. Great. We wore them for a decade. Yeah, I don't care. No. So I don't think Tanya's saying like she was mortified because the ring was fake. I think over the course of the years, Tanya's starting to pick up on things. Like, you know, isn't he supposed to be a doctor? Like, why is he buying me a fake wedding ring? Yeah, she's mortified that the jeweler like knows more about her husband than she does. Exactly. That's really what this exactly. is. Exactly. And then Christopher, the the writer who broke this story, he says, I just think Tanya had no idea this kind of person existed. And look, I think it's like whenever we say like, how could you be a 911 dispatcher? And right. like, why are you asking so many questions? And I'm like, because when you get a phone call that like a 12 year old girl has been stabbed 60 times, uh-huh. you cannot believe your life in right, that right, moment. Right. So you're like, wait, she was where? I, they did I what? Know. So I get that shock of like, there's no way my husband of six years is doing it. There's, it's impossible. Totally. So they have kids. So they have the two kids kids and then and then John takes her aside and just decides he's not happy out of nowhere and then of course Tanya oh you can hear the regret in her saying this to this day she says to him like and I said you know what's wrong you know I can change yeah what can I do other than supporting you financially and making all the money and being a mother and your supportive wife like is there anything else I can do anything else I could possibly do you need anything yeah Girl, Wild Grain is a sponsor this week. I know you are very excited to talk about it. I'm gonna shut the I'm gonna shut the hell up. I've been dying to talk about this. So Wild Grain is the first ever bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. Let me tell you, we had the croissant, we had the sourdough baguette, we had the sourdough loaf. Each item you bake it right from frozen in 25 minutes or less. There's no thawing required. What is like the word for foodie for people who just like bread? Because that is Steve. Steve is a bready. That's me. When we 
got our wild grain box, Steve tore, actually Golden tore it open. He was like, Golden smelled the bread, tore the mm-hmm. thing open. We popped the baguette right in. The, I'm a baguette and yeah. I, we devoured that baguette in 30 seconds. And you've been dying to talk about this for weeks. Like, you, this is the real deal, fam. Jillian's like signed up for this for life. Yeah, Mike made, I'm not kidding, my hand to, I swear. Yesterday, <laughs> Mike was just like, I'm a little hungry. Like a snack he wanted was the yeah. last sourdough baguette we had. And I'm like, we have to order more because uh-huh. I don't know how we're going to survive without it. So fam, you can fully customize your wild grain box so you can get any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries you like. If you want a box full of bread, all pasta, all pastries, you can have it. That's right. And plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash TCO to start your subscription. You heard her. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash TCO. That's wildgrain.com slash TCO or you can use promo code TCO at checkout. So John files for divorce and she was devastated because she married him to be with him forever. So, you know, Tanya is like... Oh my God. Tanya is putting on her goddamn Inspector Gadget hat. Well, it's it's her brother-in-law who uh-huh. really does it. So her family is just like, hey girl, like... <laughs> Because she's going through it and she's like talking to her family, which I think is great. Like she clearly has a support system. Yeah. And her brother-in-law is like, why don't we find his family? This does really seem so different from what it was like for these seven, six or seven years or whatever. Yeah. And the, the internet was invented five minutes ago. So let's use, let's get on the online and do that. Brother-in-law gives the family a goog. <laughs> and Tanya's like, he found John's mom's full name and phone number in five minutes. Yeah. And was like, here you go, girl. Right. Just call her and ask her what's up. Right. Because remember, John's telling everybody that his entire family is dead. Or he's embarrassed by them. No, he was embarrassed by them for Tanya. Oh, oh. They were dead for Angela. See? (laughs) With my niece trembling, I dialed that number and I called her. And I said, "Uh, Dolores, this is Tanya. I'm married to your son, John. And the phone was silent. And then she said, oh, Tanya, I knew you'd call me one day. And basically the mom's like, what took you so long? (laughs) Was that Columbo? Uh, no, 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 no. Columbo was, oh, I, I, let me ask you a few questions. Just one more thing. But. Oh, my God. So John's mom, like, spills the tea. And she unloaded on me that he had been arrested, that she asked me if he's still using drugs. And I said, what? John's mom is like, actually, you know what? Just call his sisters because they'd love to talk to you. And Tanya's like, sisters? Right. So I called both of his sisters. They laid out a lot of stories about insurance fraud, about having a friend, you know, hit him with the car on purpose and he broke his leg and he got some money for that, that he had um, put some glass intentionally in his taco at Taco Bell and filed a suit against that. That was not congruent with the man that I married. So Tanya's like, this is interesting information. And then she just starts straight up snooping. She's like, my brother-in-law did that awesome googing thing. Like, let me see what I can find. And she starts, she finds like her co-worker's photo with like their face circled, like creepy serial killer shit. Seriously. Directions to a hotel room. And then like all the anesthesia drugs. John had potent anesthetic drugs. There was no reason for those to be there. I'm a nurse anesthetist. There's no reason that you bring home drugs. I knew that something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was. And then, as if it can't get any worse, she realizes that not only was John using the drugs himself, but he was shipping the drugs from Ohio to California to his brother. And then his brother fucking dies. He overdoses. He overdoses on the drugs that John was sending to him that he was obviously stealing from the fucking hospital. They call me and say the brother is dead. 
then basically I'm saying this this needs to end right now. I can't hold on to this information. I don't know exactly what he's doing, but I've got to report this. That's when, you know, I I went to the police and said, this is what I know. The minute Tanya learns about this, yeah. er, right <laughs> down to the nearest precinct, and she tells Officer? the cops Officer? everything. Yeah, yeah, my husband basically killed his brother totally. by supplying him with these drugs, which is absolutely tragic. Right. In the middle of all of this, John moves to Indiana. Yeah. John moved to the state of Indiana, started working there, and some friends of mine who are also nurse anesthetists warned the board that he was there. This is a period of time where things got really scary for me. John believed that I was the one making the calls to the Indiana Board of Nursing and ruining his career. So now, all of a sudden, John is making these, like, unbelievably terrifying, threatening phone calls to her. Right. That she records and sends to the police. (laughs) Smartly. I have it on excellent, excellent authority. You're the one who's been making the phone calls. I have never called the Indiana Board of Nursing. I got a big smile on my face. And you know why? Because it's going to get done. What's going to get done? You will understand when the time comes. I'll be in Bermuda having a big Cobra Libra with a 22-year-old when it happens. That's you nice. You keep that in mind. These phone calls are fucking terrifying. He's basically talking about, like, having her killed. He's saying, I, you know, you should enjoy your time left on this earth. That, to me, it's very clear. Yeah. I'm not Columbo, but I know that. Seriously. <laughs> and she's like, you dumb bitch. Everyone's going to know it's you. Right. Who right. else could it be? It's always the husband, you right. idiot. <laughs> So we meet Detective Dennis Lucan. Yeah. And he came on the scene in 2002. And that's when things get turned around. Right. Lucan is here to save the day. The case had kind of gone cold. And I joined the Warren County Drug Task Force. And my boss asked me to reopen the case in 2002. We knew that he was stealing drugs from patients to feed his addiction. He was a pathological liar. He had no conscience. He had no remorse. And that's what made John so dangerous. Because the thing is, like, we learned John moves around from state to state and county to county and different jurisdiction for years. Yeah. So it's hard for for people to keep track. So now, like, he ends up in Newport Beach, California, and now we're back to Deborah. Right. So it's 2014. It's 14 years after the whole Tanya situation. Right. And now it's like Deb found the house. They're going to move in together. And she's like, you know, it was moving way too fast for me, but I moved in with him anyway. From this point on, almost everything Deborah says starts with, it really made me feel awful. I really didn't want to do it, but I did it anyway. Mm-hmm. Everyone in my life was telling me not to do it, but I did it anyway. So remember Tara? Yes, Tara. The daughter? Mm-hmm. So she tells us a story about like going to her mom's, where of course John has moved himself in. Right, and remember the daughters hate him. Right. And so this is causing a lot of tension. So Tara's like snooping. I noticed that there was a box in the closet. I quickly shut the door because I didn't want it to see me snoop through his stuff. On top of the box, it had a nursing certificate. He said he was a doctor. I just didn't appreciate being lied to. So Tara goes and confronts her mom. And Tara, the voice of reason, again, the daughter, the child, is right. trying to be the rational one in the room to the adult, the her mother, saying, why are you moving in with this person you've only known for two months? Right. But Deborah, who's told us 15,000 times that this was all moving too fast for her, right. <laughs> she says, you know, well, I looked at Tara and I said, Tara, you know, this is my life. And, you know, please just let me live it. Your Deborah's right on. And I'm like, well, Tara, you know, this is my life. You know, please let me live it. 
Thank you. I know. I hate it because I'm like, Deb, you just told us you thought it was all happening too fast. (laughs) And here your daughter is like, stop gaslighting your own fucking kids. And then John sees this conversation happening. And according to Tara, he came up behind my mom and started screaming at me. Yeah, you you want your mom to yourself. What a monster. You're just jealous. Like, all this stupid shit. But this is the first of a million times where, like, I understand that everybody comes to their own situations with their own baggage or whatever. But if I was ever with somebody, Jake Gyllenhaal, for example, after Steve's untimely passing. Absolutely. That you had absolutely nothing to do with. That I had nothing to do with. I was with you the whole night. Exactly. Drinking. And Jake were to start screaming at Daisy, I would have to dismiss Mr. Gyllenhaal. Right. You can't have a new boyfriend screaming at your child. You just allow that. That shit in your house and Deb did it I mean they only knew each other for two months but most of that time she just let John treat her kids like shit when all her kids were trying to do was like hey mom right can you stop right and the thing is like Tara was right she found a lie right she, on paper she right. found a lie Tara left I confronted John but he had an answer for everything they said that he didn't lie he had his doctorate They're basically the same thing, but one is under the nurses and one is under a doctor's. And he said, but we both put people to sleep. John was so persuasive. I know I keep saying this, but he was that good. So Deb and John start going to therapy. (laughs) Right? So John, he uses this to manipulate her. Right. So he's like, therapy, perfect. He's going to take over this therapy session and Uh basically lie to the therapist and get the therapist to agree with him. Uh So he can say like, Deb, what have me and the therapist been saying? Right, right, right. Oh, he's so gross. (laughs) So in therapy, John's like, well, her kids are super spoiled and need boundaries. Right. But then one of them is telling us like the boundaries consisted of not having my kids attend Thanksgiving if they were going to have this kind of behavior. Deborah uninvites her daughters to Thanksgiving. Yeah. Which is... Really, this is really, truly heartbreaking. Honestly, though, they probably had a much better time at some restaurant or wherever. With their friends. Yeah, they they had a Friendsgiving. (laughs) They were fine. But it's heartbreaking that you're standing here literally screaming at your mother saying, can you please look at what reality is? And she's like, but I think he's cute. Right. You can't come to Thanksgiving now. Right. What? That's unbelievable. So in addition to isolating her, he's also like following her and like has to be in control of her every move. Right. From date two or three, he's begging her to marry him. Yeah, she actually says, as of the third date, he was telling me he wanted to marry me, grow old on me, die in my arms. That's weird. Die in my arms? Are you the notebook? Right. <laughs> no, you're not. That's a Noah and Allie story and <laughs> just theirs. So she goes... You guys, I just, you guys is us, right. like the viewer. She's like, I just have, it's not my stomach. I'm just thinking, why am I doing this? My whole family's going to kill me. But fuck it, let's get married. She marries him. And we see the wedding video. John, please repeat after me. I, John, I, John. take their birth to be my wedded wife. Oh my gosh. I cannot believe that we are seeing the wedding video. It's unbelievable. And she didn't tell. She secretly gets married to this guy. Right. But then at the wedding, we hear people like, oh, and I'm like, who was there? Right. He has a dead family or they're all embarrassed. She didn't yeah. tell anyone because they'd all be mad at her. And I'm like, oh, wait, it's Vegas. It's right? Vegas, baby. It's like paid witnesses. It's bachelorettes. Totally. And Elvises. Totally. <laughs> Great. 
Girl, Wild Grain is the sponsor this week. I know you are very excited to talk about it. I'm gonna shut the I'm gonna shut the hell up. I've been dying to talk about this. So Wild Grain is the first ever bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. Let me tell you, we had the croissant, we had the sourdough baguette, we had the sourdough loaf. Each item you bake it right from frozen in 25 minutes or less. There's no thawing required. What is like the word for foodie for people who just like bread? Because that is Steve. Steve is a bready. When we got our wild grain box, Steve tore, actually Golden tore it open. He was like, Golden smelled the bread, tore the mm-hmm. thing open. We popped the baguette right in. The, I'm a baguette and yeah. I, we devoured that baguette in 30 seconds. And you've been dying to talk about this for a week. Like, you, this is the real deal, fam. Jillian's like signed up for this for life. Yeah, Mike may, I'm not kidding. My hand, to, I swear. Yesterday, <laughs> Mike was just like, I'm a little hungry. Like a snack he wanted was the yeah. last sourdough baguette we had. And I'm like, we have to order more because uh, I don't know how we're going to survive without it. So fam, you can fully customize your wild grain box so you can get any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries you like. If you want a box full of bread, all pasta, all pastries, you can have it. That's right. And plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash TCO to start your subscription. You heard her. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash TCO. That's wildgrain.com slash TCO or you can use promo code TCO at checkout. So now we're back to 2001. It's 13 years before this wedding. And we're in Ohio now. And we meet this woman, Meg Maggart. And it's the same old story. Everything you could possibly want in an online dating profile. Right, right. I met John online. His profile said that he was single, that he was a doctor, an anesthesiologist. Uh, Just a great profile. Like everything you want to see in a man. He was just so perfect. Everything you want to see. She had low self-esteem. You guys, we've done this all before. And it makes me so sad because she's just so comfortable saying to us, like, I had a low opinion of myself. Absolutely. I was exactly the target that he was looking for. Right. And you look at Megan, you're like, Meg, sweetheart, you're so beautiful. And you're so, you seem like a nice, articulate, smart, funny person. Yeah. What's not to like about you, Meg? Right. And so she meets John online and they start dating. And three months into dating, they go to Mexico. You guys, this is so bonkers. It's so like Jodi Arias, right? Where totally. they go to some like convention and in Mexico and he's like let's go together after three months of dating and she's like great Uh, he just asked me if I wanted to go be with him like wow okay so now this beautiful man is taking me on a trip day one I'm like this is awesome the weather was beautiful the hotel was beautiful I am going to have a great time and then oh my god she goes now let me tell you about day two (laughs) day two let me tell you about day two John said that he had to leave for a little bit that his back hurt Okay. He came back with a vial of drugs, wrapped a belt around his ankle, and he inserted the drugs with a hypodermic needle between his toes. He's shooting drugs with an intravenous needle in between his toes in the middle of the room. At like 11.30 in the morning. He's shooting up in between his toes, Jillian. I know. In between his toes. I don't want to. He's known her for three months. Like, I feel like I didn't burp in front of Steve for a year. So Meg is like, okay, I'm terrified. Right. Uh, (laughs) But she says, but I'm also brave. Which I love. Oh, I love Meg. So she's like, this is not right. Call me crazy. (laughs) I know I've had a couple margs, breakfast margs, which is fine. You're on vacation in Mexico. Do you? 
And so John somehow gets her to bring him to the hospital to get even more drugs because apparently this piece of shit can convince anybody of anything. And I think Meg also saw that as maybe an exit strategy. Like, I'm going to take this dipshit to the hospital and get the fuck out of here. Because that's exactly what happens. Right. She doesn't even stop the car. She just pushes him out into the hospital like, bye. And she hightails it the hell out of there. Yeah. When I leave Mexico, John is still in the hospital. Drove home, getting all of my luggage out, and John's gym bag is in there. And his gym bag had spilled. And I found a card, business card, that had his ex-wife's name on it. So I called Tanya the next day. Meg wastes (laughs) no time, is immediately calling Tanya and being like, Bitch, you're not going to believe it. I know. Also, my name's Meg. Anyway, (laughs) and tells her everything. And then Tanya's like, you know who you should call? Detective Lucan. Totally, that detective. Right. So Meg's like, okay, girl, loving you. Call me every five seconds. Let me know you get home safe. They're best friends now. (laughs) They're making a true crime comedy podcast. (laughs) 100%. I would listen to it every day. I get a call from Meg. He told me that there had to be drugs in John's house. He was afraid there were weapons in the house. He told me that. They had been trying to get John for months and months. He asked me if I would go into the house and see if I could find any drugs. She does it. You guys, she does it. And she's telling us that she's scared out of her fucking mind. She's like, I know that piece of shit is on a bed in Mexico, but like, I was afraid that every second he was going to pop up right behind Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Yeah. No question. And then they did this thing in the documentary reenactment where like they did like an image of a man and I screamed. Did I you? screamed. I screamed. Girl. I know. <laughs> He's not here. It's okay. <laughs> So everything that incriminates him is up in the attic. I was so afraid to stick my head up there. Stuck my head up there, and it was chock full of empty vials. There were vials stuck in the gym shoes. There were vials everywhere. I couldn't believe it. Like, this is really true. And this man is now going to kill me because I helped. She is incredulous. She can't believe... She's like, oh my God, I really liked him. I was in Mexico with him. I know, like this morning. (laughs) Those breakfast marts are just wearing off. I know, and that'll sober you up real quick, seeing vials and weapons. Yeah. So she's now in fear for her life because she's like, who is this person? Oh my God, can you even imagine? I cannot imagine. So she calls Detective Dennis back and she's like, bitch, you're not going to believe it. And he's like, I'm on my way. So they get a search warrant. Uh And then they get to the house and really turn the place upside down. They're finding guns. <laughs> which she can't have because of the restraining order that Tanya had against him. I'm sorry. Just your turns of phrase when you said turning it upside down. I don't know why that was so funny. <laughs> That's a thing people say. It totally is. <laughs> Sometimes when you react like that, I'm like, did I say it wrong? No, no. I probably did. You guys being a woman. I'm just like, what did I do wrong? That's what it's like. Can you imagine? I sneeze and say, I'm sorry. It's bad. <laughs> And I'm a good sneezer. I go into the the elbow pit and I just go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Isn't that so awful? I love you so much. Isn't that horrible? That is really horrible. I need to stop. Like, I just need to stop. It's just a thing. Like, that needs to get out of my body. I'm I'm sneezing. I'm a human. That's okay. So they find a gun, which, funnily enough, John can't have Uh because of that restraining order that Tanya with the girls, Emily and Abby, has against him. So they're like, this is great. It can't, like, every single thing they uncover is horrible, but also awesome. Yeah. And so they actually charge him he gets like hauled into court you guys he gets like all this time he gets like two years in jail he pulls this shit Mm -hmm. where he tells the judge like okay girl I know I need to go to jail for this but I have to like deal with my dogs it's like feed his dogs leave the dogs out of it number one 
John is supposed to show up at 10 a.m. for sentencing on Monday morning. He doesn't show up. Lucan wastes no time. He calls Tanya, the ex-wife. That Monday, I got a call from Detective Lucan. And what he said to me was, Tanya, John did not show for his sentencing. And they sometimes take hostages. She needs to run like hell and get away from John. And he said, I want you to go get your children out of daycare and school and go hide. Hide. He says, hide. Yeah, he's like, you need to run like hell and get away from John. (laughs) Sometimes they take hostages. Can you imagine getting that phone call? No. It's like, uh, detective. I know. I hope he said. (laughs) I hope the context is more like, we we need to talk about this. And like, I hope you're sitting down. I'm going to tell you some really scary things, but also be running while I'm on the phone. Get on the cordless, girl. (laughs) So Tanya didn't need to be that worried because John goes to Michigan where he robs three hospitals he Uh used to work at. He robs them of their anesthesia kits. And you guys, this just gets crazy crazier. Yeah. He goes to the hotel room where he like takes all the drugs. Right. Some poor hotel attendant finds him passed out on the floor. Right. This poor attendant calls 911. They get him an ambulance. He's in the ambulance. Like in the middle of the road, John jumps out of the ambulance. He jumped out of the ambulance, ran into a local uh, department store, climbed up an elevator shaft and fought like hell as the cops tried to climb up and get him. Runs up an elevator (laughs) shaft. Which is like, how do you even... The superhuman strength of like three anesthesia kits coursing through his veins. Seriously. He's hanging on to like this elevator shaft. These cops are underneath him trying to jump up and get him. And get him. They can't get you, M. I know. <laughs> one of the guys, like one of the cops jumps onto his legs. They all fall 15 feet. Right. And, and Detective Lucan's like, they fought like hell, these cops. Oh God, did they fight like hell. To try to get him in an elevator shaft. I still don't even know how he ended up there. It's uh, in a JCPenney. In a JCPenney of all places. It's all insane. So at that point, John was placed under arrest for the theft of those anesthesia kits. So the cops arrest him after this like stint at JCPenney. Uh-huh. And they he's going to jail. And Tanya says, like, I was going to have two years of a reprieve. But that's not what happened, Jillian. Right, because in Ohio, and I have a lot of mixed feelings on this. Uh-huh. So in Ohio, if you successfully complete treatment after a drug charge, they clear it from your record. So you get sentenced to jail, but they put you in rehab. Mm-hmm. And if you complete like the 30-day program or whatever, they release you and they wipe it from your record. Which can be great. Yes. And also terrible. And we're living in the terrible. Right. So he's back on the street. Right. And the thing is, he finds out somehow, because Uh again, he can get anybody to do anything for him. He finds out that our friend Meg. Remember Meg Maggard? Her name was on the search warrant. Of course it was. The search warrant where where she found all the vials in in the attic, that whole thing. Right. He loses it. Yeah. John goes crazy. John calls me and tells me that I'm going to regret ever helping Dennis Lucan. He said I was a whore and a bitch and I was gonna pay for what I did. He knew where my family was. You know, I had small children. In his threats, his voice was so real. So Meg tells us this terrifying story. Yeah. Where actually she says like one day she's out for a walk in her very cute neighborhood. Yeah, she's walking her dog. She calls it a very cute neighborhood. I was like, Meg, we got a girl. I love you. (laughs) Walking her dog and a car tries to run her over and actually breaks her leg. I knew it was John. I had no doubt that it was John. He knew that I was on that search warrant. He believed that I had just ruined his life. This guy just tried to kill me. So she calls Detective Lucan and she's like, is this? Because Detective Lucan's on our side here. Right. He really, really, really wants to For get sure. John. And he's like, he had an alibi, which just means he paid some guy and hired some guy to kill his wife. But his also, ex-wife, his ex or whoever. What's the alibi? I want to see the alibi. Nobody even tells us what it is. He's probably on video somewhere putting uh, shards of glass in his Taco Bell <laughs> taquito or whatever. 
fiestas or whatever they want to have from the wonderful whites. Girl, Wild Grain is a sponsor this week. I know you are very excited to talk about it. I'm gonna shut the I'm gonna shut the hell up. I've been dying to talk about this. So Wild Grain is the first ever bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. Let me tell you, we had the croissant, we had the sourdough baguette, we had the sourdough loaf. Each item, you bake it right from frozen in 25 minutes or less. There's no thawing required. What is like the word for foodie for people who just like bread? Because that is Steve. Steve is a bready. When we got our wild grain box Steve tore actually Golden tore it open he was like Golden smelled the bread tore the mm-hmm. thing open we popped the baguette right in the, I'm a baguette and yeah. I we devoured that baguette in 30 seconds and you've been dying to talk about this for a week like you, this is the real deal fam Jillian's like signed up for this for life yeah Mike may I'm not kidding my hand to, I swear yesterday Mike was just like I'm a little hungry like a snack he wanted was the yeah. last sourdough baguette we had and I'm like we have to order more because uh-huh. I don't know how we're gonna survive without it so fam you can fully custom your wild grain box so you can get any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries you like. If you want a box full of bread, all pasta, all pastries, you can have it. That's right. And plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash TCO to start your subscription. You heard her. Free croissants yeah. in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash TCO. That's wildgrain.com slash TCO or you can use promo code TCO at checkout. So back to Deb. Remember Deb? Yeah. Deb is like the main player of like the ladies of the story. Right. Because she's the last person he scammed. Exactly. So it's 2015. It's like 13 years after the last action of the last episode. Right. So like by the time he marries Deb and also it was a secret wedding and she didn't tell anyone in her family because she knew they were all going to get mad at her because for the last two months, because they've only known each other two months before they got married, both of her daughters have been (laughs) screaming and saying he's lying and we hate him. Please listen to us. That's where we are. Right. And in case you're wondering, her daughter Jacqueline is... Is still in shadow. Yes, Jack says no time for this. Also, she's <laughs> famous now, so we know who you are, Jacqueline. But whatever she wants to do. So Deb, Deb talks about how he used to say to her, like, you have it so good. You have no idea. I'm so good to you. No one else would treat you this way. John was the perfect husband. He doted and he would tell me all the time, you have it so good. I am so good to you. I heard that and I was like, bitch, what? Remember when you moved into my fucking house? Right. Remember when I paid all the bills? Oh, I know. Why would anybody tolerate anybody saying that to them? Because he's groomed her at this uh-huh. point. It only oh, took I hate two months. That word, I know it's, it's true. true. And she was very vulnerable. But she would say, like, you know what? You're right, John. You are. It's unfucking believable. She believed it. So it's during this time that we find out that John and Jacqueline, I want to call her Jacqueline, but I don't think that's how she probably says it. But if you're saying Jax, can I call her Jacqueline? Sure, do whatever. Uh, so during this time, John and Jacqueline really start despising each other? So John told me you better not be seeing your daughter. So I would sneak to go see her. Like, what is happening? You know, the thing I have to remember is what you just said a minute ago is that she's been groomed. And I have to find it in my heart to make room for that because you try telling me at 50 years old that I can't go fucking see Daisy. See how that goes for this relationship. Right. And I understand that it's a thing that I don't understand. I get that it's real and this really happens to people. It just makes me fucking furious. I know. And you and Jacqueline, you guys agree. Yeah. So she decides, taking matters into her own probably perfectly manicured (laughs) hands. She puts a tracker you on guys. his car. I was determined to get evidence he was spying, so we put a tracker on John's car. I was curious about everything that he did. 
I loved it when Jacqueline tracked his car. I thought at least someone's doing the dirty work. I just have a huge letter. She put a fucking tracker on his it's car. It's amazing. I am obsessed with it's her. It's amazing. I would be too scared to do that. Unbelievable. Let the women do the work. Always. Thank you. And the thing that I thought was so amazing was like this fucking guy, John, who's like savvy. He's a con man. He's been doing this for 25 yeah. years. Never thinks to look to see if anyone's put a tracker on his car. We right. see it. It's the size of a smoke detector. It's I know. Like, it's not like a little chip. So here's what John would do all day. He would hit up three or four doctor's offices in one day. Sometimes he would only be at these places for 30 minutes. My theory was he was getting different drugs at different doctors. And then he would go home, be on the TV, playing video games, be sleeping for like 14 to 16 hours straight. And so Jacqueline asked Deb, Mom, yeah. I have some information here. Let me ask you something like, just level with me here. If you knew for a fact that John was lying to you and I could prove it to you, would you still love him? Uh-huh. Deb says yes. yes. Back to Jack's Jacqueline and the tracker on the car. And she sees, she. I guess, you know, she has her little, the screen that shows like beep, 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 <laughs> that shows where the car is. She's like watching it. She realizes that the car is across the street from her high rise because John is now following her. It's just unfucking real And she goes, I did not know what John Meehan was going to do, but somebody needed to stop him. So now her intention and same with Tara, it's more about this is bigger than us. Yeah. We need, he needs to be stopped. Like this is crazy. She put a tracker on his car. I cannot get over it. I know. So now like John and Deb are married. She's totally isolated from her family, but she, everything is saying, get out. I started missing my family so incredibly much. John was really trying to control my life and everything in it. So guess what, though? He gets a bowel obstruction. <laughs> right. So this is kind of like, wait, what? So John is scheduled to have surgery on his back. Yeah. Whether that's real or not or a way to get drugs, I don't know. Because he said the same thing in Mexico. Remember when he was shooting up drugs in his toes? And right. he like, gets the girlfriend to take him to the hospital because he's got back problems? Gross. Yeah. So the night before, he gets a bowel obstruction. Which I don't know what that is, but I'm really glad that he got it. It means he can't poop. Yeah. But like in a really serious way. Right. <laughs> it's like a really, like you have to go to the hospital. Like for real. How do you know when it's really serious? I don't know. I stopped Googling when I was like, okay, I get the gist of what this is. Moving on. We're not going to focus on this for more than 30 seconds on the app. So I That's just, true. I X'd out. Okay. Again, your Goog history. It's, it was a pretty safe week, honestly, in the in the history of my Goog like, history. How long does it take for a body to decompose in a trunk? You didn't have to do that this week? No, like plus chloroform. That I, was a really dark, dark time. And it's going to live forever. Like it's on my yeah. record forever. Yeah, it's true. How Like when does a body start to smell? That was horrible. That was a really bad time in my life. So this bowel obstruction, whatever, is so bad that he actually has to go to the hospital like like on not his terms. Right. Because yes. Deb's like, girl, like poop. Like, I, poop it. <laughs> poop it out, you know? And uh -huh. so she brings him to the hospital. And good for her for not laughing when she tells this story. <laughs> she right. tells it with a straight face. <laughs> so now because it was an actual emergency. Good, good for her for good not on you, Deb. <laughs> Look, everybody poops. Of course. The body is a weird, crazy thing. <laughs> Things true. happen. If I, this is really going to help me with my not apologizing for sneezing. If yeah. I'm like, the body's going to do, I can't understand it. Uh-huh. Sometimes you have to poop. Anyway, so because this is like an actual emergency and it's sort of out of his control. Yeah. It ends up that Deb now has his phone. Yeah. He's at the hospital. She's not staying. She's not doing that thing where you snuggle up next to the person in the hospital bed. She's like, fuck that. Absolutely. I'm going home. Right. So also, this is also like, Deb, you knew that this was bad news and you just didn't want to believe it. Because what's the first thing she does? She gets his phone and starts a scrolling. She starts a scrolling. <laughs> and I saw all these different women. And 
I started snapping shots of it, of his phone. I was a thousand percent heartbroken, felt betrayed. I just, it was hard. She says she felt heartbroken and betrayed. I get it. Like, I look. She's devastated. If, if she's just going to, like, go along to get along and she's bought into this nonsense and she's been brainwashed, I can see when you're confronted with actual evidence, mm-hmm. it would be devastating. And so she's all devastated. She needs her best friends, her daughters. <laughs> so the first people, she calls Jax and she's like, okay, I believe you now. But they go into his office and they find the goddamn truth. The papers show that John has numerous names, numerous social security numbers. And it's stating all these different, I think there were seven or nine restraining orders against him. From stalking to choking to drugs. I mean, there were so many. So Deb finally is like, I guess he wasn't that great of a guy. And I'm like, just say he's like an evil person. And she says like, I was just his latest victim. So Deb finally, because you know Jacqueline is like, now I see, now I'm doing it. (laughs) Jax is like, mom, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And she's like, yes. So Deb makes a run for it. She's like, I scrambled, grabbed all my stuff and moved away. And now like almost like as quickly as it all happened, she's like, we're getting a divorce. I'm moving. (laughs) Now she's like at a hundred about it. I realize I need to end this marriage. So I get this lawyer um, to be able to file an annulment. We decide that he's dangerous, and we also change my will and make sure that he knows that my kids are getting my money. I was worried that John was going to kill me to try to get the money because I had married him. So, wait, hang on a second. You wrote your fucking will so that your deadbeat husband you've known for two months gets your money and your kids don't? Right. But then also she's saying, like, we needed to make it clear to him that the money was in my kid's name so that he wouldn't kill me for the money. Right. Because that's what she's afraid of now. Right. Because they're married. Right. So he would get it. So now John is in the hospital and the doctors are like, have you pooped yet? And he's Uh like, I don't know. I have this (laughs) obstruction. And so he's realizing, like, everything is spiraling out of control with him. Right. He becomes uh, a totally different person. He becomes extremely mad menacing, begins insulting her via text and email. She sees a side of him that uh, I don't think she uh, had glimpsed before. John sent nasty text messages to me that I'm a liar, that he'll get even, that I stole his money. He was turning things around and making it look like I was the bad guy and he was the good guy. Every time I think it's the worst gaslighting I've ever seen, he like he does it again. So now, because this is so terrifying, the cops that Deb is working with, they're like, look, you need to change your appearance because now he's super mad. This is so crazy. So she's like vacated the house. She's like moving from hotel to hotel near her job every single day. Uh-huh, having and- like her assistant like right. go out and <laughs> the outside. She kind of loves the drama of it. One thing that I had to do was disguise myself. And they said, don't be conspicuous. I had to get a dark wig. I had to get plain clothes. You don't want to be noticed. You have to blend in with the crowd. That was something that I had to do. I put on this long black wig, changed my makeup up. Just my life changed at that point. 
so then he's like, okay, so the gaslighting and threatening her life isn't working. Uh huh. So one day he just calls her and he's super nice to her. And he's like, I can explain. You know, uh-huh. they, they call this hoovering in oh. like abusive relationships. Oh, really? Where they're horrible and then they try to suck you back in like Hoover, like oh the my vacuum. Oh, God. So that's what he's doing to her. He's hoovering her now. And he's saying, like, yes, I was, I did go to jail, but I was framed. He goes, I couldn't bear telling you I was so in love with you. I thought you wouldn't date me if you knew that. What he told me about the awful text that he had sent me is that he was drugged. He had so many drugs in his system, he was out of his mind. I was drugged. It was. I was in the hospital, and they were. The, it was. It was my bowel. It was my poop. Drugs. I couldn't poop, and also I have MS now. <laughs> he said, "I have no one, and I have MS, and I have nowhere to go." Deb buys this hook, line, and sinker. So Deborah goes to the hospital to see him. She's explaining the scene of him just like sobbing. I'm just thinking like, okay, I've worked through my my seven stages with Deborah, so I'm sort of at the acceptance stage that she's she's about to take him back and I don't understand what she has been through in her life that makes her do this. I don't understand it. I know. And then we get from our experts here and yeah. it kind of cuts us down a little bit because yeah. it's like, you know, on average it takes a woman seven times to leave their abuser. So Laura tells us that. Yeah. Hot British Laura tells yeah. us that and that really did I had I rewound it I had to listen to it again yeah I mean the thing is it's just so heightened here oh yeah because he will kill her and you have the evidence in your hands you found the social security numbers and the applications for the semi-automatic weapons and, and the, the vials names, and the this and the, and the, and the yeah, that yeah like you have the the evidence is in your house and your daughter is begging you like mom can you open your eyes please for us I know. for our relationship please so I think that I want to say to everybody who's told the story the podcast the articles the documentary give us a little bit more of Deb's backstory yeah yeah. Because there's no way as a viewer who hasn't experienced something like this, you can't be mad at her. And I know that we can't be mad at her because sure. she's a victim here. I need to know more. I need to know more about why she is uh, susceptible to this. Right. You guys, Deb gets back together with John secretly. So she tells us immediately, like, he's back in the house and things are just going right fucking downhill again. Yeah. And then we're right back to him trying to re-isolate her. One person he despised was Jacqueline. He saw me as a threat and I saw him as a threat. He told me that if I went and I talked to her, he would make sure she was thrown in the ocean and never come out. You guys. And then she tells us, this is the last ride. This is when I knew I had to go. So Deb, she knows that on some level, she's got to protect herself. Yeah. So she has this nest egg. She's been hiding money for herself. Right. And also she wants to try to cut him off financially to limit his resources for like hitmen and like drugs. <laughs> right. And all the stuff that he's into. <laughs> because we never really get the, an answer about like, is, does he have a job? Is he getting paid? Or is he just living off of her? Uh, no, I think he's playing video games and sleeping for 14 hours a day as per my previous email right. and the tracker <laughs> and the surveillance footage. Exactly. Exactly. So and so Deborah is literally hiding bundles of hundred dollar bills around the house. Right. So he finds the money. He comes storming in. He's like throwing the money at her. Yeah. And he says, what are you doing? And I looked at him and I said, it's my money. And he says, technically, it's both of our money and started bullying me. And he says, I want you to hit me. I want you to hit me. He goes, if you hit me, you will never get up again. That moment took my breath away. Well, the thing is, this is when Deb's like, okay, so I'm going to go. Yeah. I'm going to leave. I'm sure there were a hundred other things that were worse than that or on the same level, but yeah. it, she heard it when she heard it. Right. And she left. And that's really all we can be happy <laughs> we, about. We see in the reenactment video, she like runs up the stairs and gets a suitcase and like throws some blouses in it and like runs out the front door. It's, that must be terrifying. I know. That someone actually just threatened to kill you. Yeah. And then now you have to leave knowing full well that he is capable of doing this. Leave your own goddamn house. That you paid for. It, that you paid for. Girl. So, 
we come to find out that Deb has a house in Vegas that she's like building. Right, because she's also, she's had like a lot of work in Vegas. Yes. So she was splitting her time between California and Vegas. So she like has a little bit of a, of a solace there. Yeah, and there had been a time that she tried to get him to like live there and it didn't really work out. But she knows that like she's got stuff in that house and she's got to like get there and get it all out of there. I grabbed the suitcase, took off, drove to Jacqueline's and we got in the car we went to Vegas to get anything we could out of the house that was mine. So they go to the house and they're filming everything. Again, smartly saying like, I, we're not stealing. You have like a shoebox worth of bullshit here because you stayed here for five seconds. And also the house looks like the inside of his car. The ha- there's like milk cartons. There's no furniture anywhere. There's pizza boxes. This man is a fucking animal. He's a slob. He's disgusting. Don't, that's like mean to animals. Don't do that. I know. He's a slob. <laughs> You're but right. what they're doing is because they know he's going to go fly off the handle. They're filming him saying like, see, we're leaving all your pizza boxes, John. We see this home video. Exactly. It's crazy. Which is like, it's heartbreaking she has to do it, but I'm glad they did it. Yeah. You know Jax has been googling how to how to leave an abusive totally. relationship and knew what to do. I left John all his I'm you all, all your stuff. I know your watches are in here, John. Don't worry. Okay, I have a video of everything. My other thing, too, is where is John? Like, I'm afraid he's going to show up. I'm afraid he's standing right behind this wall while we're recording. Me, too. But that's why the urgency, you could feel and hear and sense the urgency in this video. And they're like, yeah. you got everything? You got it? No, I got it. We got it. And really, that's how it is. I could hear myself because at one point, Jacqueline is, like, leaving the garage before the mom. You have your keys? Do you have your phone? I have everything. Let's go. Yeah. Mom! Mom! Like, I, like, I could hear myself screaming at my mother, like, we got to go! I mean, it's so, so terrifying. Yeah. Well, guess what? What? Here we are, August 20th. (laughs) This is when things get just so bonkers. Yeah. So this is when Tara comes back. Tara comes back. And you guys, we're off and running. Yeah. So Tara goes to work from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. So Tara drives home. She pulls into like her parking garage, Mm -hmm. which is like open air. You can see into it. Okay. When I pulled into the parking garage, I looked over and this car was backed up into a space. I saw this guy with a tire iron. I get out of my car, I walk around, and this guy grabbed me by the waist. He looked me in the eyes and said, do you remember me? It was John. Do you remember me? Yeah. It's also like, John, didn't you just see her like a weekend ago? But that's a, such a menacing thing. Uh-huh. This is the moment. They all said this was going to happen. He's coming after one of us. And right from this moment, she is in a fight for her fucking life. I knew I was in trouble. I knew he was going to try to kill me. He's trying to push me towards his car. His trunk is open. I bite him as hard as I can. I'm kicking, I'm fighting. And so he has a knife. He's trying to throw her in the trunk. And we hear from one of the detectives and they're like, she did everything right. When someone tries to get you in a car or anything, you kick and you scream and you fight for your life. And that's exactly what she did. You guys, it's the middle of the day. It's one o'clock in the afternoon. And so remember people can see into the parking garage. All of a sudden we meet this girl, Skylar. Who was like 14 at the time. Right. She's saying that she's looking down into this parking garage. I saw a man holding a knife. 
knife and a woman screaming. He was raising a knife, bringing it down over and over. I told my mom to call 911 and tell them that somebody was being stabbed. She's saying to her mom, she's like, uh, mom, I don't know what the fuck is going on here. You need to call 911. I'm running into this knife fight. Right. So John is screaming. Tara is screaming. Yeah. There's a knife happening. So this is where, remember when I was like, the two things I remember from the podcast yeah. were not mentioned here. Yes. So what's also happening is Tara's dog named Cash, which is not, we don't have time, um, is also there barking up a storm and trying to rip John off of Tara. Is that right? So the dog is barking, John is screaming, Tara's screaming, there's a knife. It's just, it's you can't ignore these sounds. Also, it's one o'clock in the afternoon in this super fancy neighborhood. Yeah. Like, people are going to pay attention. Right. So John drops the knife. And it landed exactly right next to me on my right hand side. I didn't even give it a second thought, picked up the knife, and I started willing back on him. I know it's either him or me. I'm stabbing him with all my might. I was fighting for my life. And she does what is known as the zombie stab, and she stabs him in the eye. So let me, this is another thing. Uh-huh. We learned throughout Dirty John, the, the podcast, that Tara was, like, obsessed with the zombie apocalypse. Right, that's not mentioned in this documentary at all, but and I remember it from important. the podcast. Yeah. She loved The Walking Dead. Yeah. She was actually, for real, preparing to survive a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. If you've watched a single five seconds of any zombie movie in your life, you know that you kill them by stabbing them in the brain. Yeah. So what Tara did was all of this prep for the zombie apocalypse is what saved her life. And remember, Tara is 125 pounds. And 19 years old. And 19. John is 240 pounds. And saw this coming a mile away. <laughs> he begins falling on top of me and he gasped. I stabbed him once, like right here. And then I stabbed him in the eye. I just start screaming. Tara takes the knife and stabs him through the fucking eye. Piercing his brain. Piercing his brain. The dog is barking, pulling him off. The 14-year-old neighbor, it is a bonkers. bonkers. He's done. And then she sort of rolls him off of her. Skylar, the neighbor, picks her up, calls the police. We hear the 911 call. Yep. Hi, I need an ambulance right away and the police. What happened? Uh, um, someone's been stabbed and he attacked a girl. It's a girl and her dog and then a guy is on the ground. Um... I'm not really sure what happened. We just heard her screaming. Yes. The police show up in this parking garage and we see the fucking dash cam. And we hear her. Yes. We hear Tara saying, I need to get away from him. He's dead. He's on the ground. Tara can't believe that he's not going to jump up. She's traumatized. Of course. It's crazy. There's the dog at her feet. Right. Hey, girl. <laughs> girl, we did it. We did it. So then Tara calls Deborah. Oh, my God. And says the following sentence. <laughs> Mom, I killed your husband. <laughs> I killed him. And I get this call. And it's Tara screaming, Mom, I killed your husband. I killed your husband. I'm like, what? So now Tara is in the hospital being questioned and taken care of because she has a lot of wounds here. He, yeah. he, he did stab her. For sure. And the dog is in every photo that uh -huh. we see in the hospital bed. Uh -huh. Oxygen, please. <laughs> John is also in the hospital so, on life support. I don't remember if this is in the podcast or not, mm -hmm. but I didn't realize John survived. 
Like, so, hardly. Barely, but he's still alive. So Deborah shows up to the hospital to see her daughter, which takes hours because, of course, she's just killed a man, so she's being questioned. Right. And then Deborah tells us she has to go identify John's body. Remember, they're still married. Yep. And then, and then we see Tanya, his first wife. Right. Tanya's like, I was at home when I got the call that this all happened, and I knew that Deborah had given the decision of, like, whether to pull the plug or not right. on John's life support to the sisters. So Deborah wasn't even in charge of that. Right. So this all happened. The big fight, the knife fight, happened on August 20th. Yeah. By August 24th, John has taken off life support. Yeah. And he wasn't coming back anyway. Like, like she stabbed his brain. You guys. Can we take a second? And I just want to give all the fucking hero bells. It's incredible. For what Tara did. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. And Tanya, his first wife, says, I've been predicting for a long time that this was going to end in a big ball of fire. John would be killed at the hands of someone's husband, brother, or father. I never imagined that he would fall to the hands of, you know, a five foot two girl fighting for her life. I thought it was poetic justice. I fucking loved this quote so much. I mean, the thing about Tara, and we were saying this in episode one, it's easy for Jacqueline, for Tara, even for Deb, it's easy to make caricatures out of these women because they don't sound like us on the East Coast. They sound like California girls. They're pretty, they're blonde. Mm -hmm. They sound a little- They check all the boxes, right? They're privileged. They have the little Tiffany bracelets. Totally. You know, come on. And I mean, this girl fought for her fucking Mm -hmm. life and killed this man. Yep. I mean, to me, it is just like the power of the human spirit, man. You know? And you know, the thing is, too, I don't necessarily believe in the term, like, guilty pleasure. Uh-huh. You know how many people thought that Terror Girl is a fucking weirdo? Uh-huh. Like, her fandom, her love of zombie movies, and, yeah. like, her knowledge of that saved her life. Of course. Love what you want to love. You want to become a doctor of <laughs> shit you read on the internet. You never know what kind of knowledge. Uh-huh. It didn't harm anybody that she liked the zombie stuff, nope. but it saved her life and it killed this monster. Totally. Like, what a turn of events. I know. <laughs> And so, you know, Detective Dennis and Detective Julia were just like, it was a good day, man. Right. <laughs> Someone had to kill him. Yeah. And like, he never would have ended. And like, there are all oh. these victims all over the country, probably. So then it's like, so Deborah, like we hear from so many other people. And yeah. it's like, what does Deb think about all this? Because really, like, Deb, girl, right. Deb, the you podcast had... was made about you. Like, exactly. Come on, yeah. what are your thoughts? Yeah. And she. <laughs> I know exactly what you're going to say. She could have said a lot of things. <laughs> what she says is. We're still healing. And I think that's going to take time. It's really caused me to rethink dating men. <laughs> Deb is probably realizing, maybe I'm just, I love a person. Right, totally. And it doesn't really matter. Maybe all of this, this pedestal that I've had, this the white rich doctor thing, uh-huh, uh-huh. maybe I'm just going to love whoever it is who treats me with respect uh-huh. and makes me happy. <laughs> Beat men, she says. That pause went on for days. It was perfect. Deb, okay. Be happy, girl. Be safe and be happy. It's all we want. Hey, fam. Thanks for checking out our episode covering Oxygen's Dirty John, The Dirty Truth. Don't forget, tomorrow morning, I'm dropping my interview with our friend Tara Newell right here in the feed. We're going to talk all about the episode, all of the ways that she's taken this crazy thing that happened to her and turned it around to make it a positive to help other people learn how to share their stories. She's such an amazing woman. I cannot wait for you to hear it. Also, reminder, if you're on the fence about coming to see Jillian and me this Saturday at Town Hall for our hometown show, our last show before Obsessed Fest, we've 
just reduced all of the remaining balcony seats to $25. So for $25, you get our amazing live show covering the jinx. We get the opening number and the closing number featuring our Broadway dancers. It's going to be a really, really, really fun night. Come and hang out with us. Get your tickets at truecrimeobsessed.com. And stay tuned for the crazy and hilarious outtakes from this episode. But that's what's so amazing about Jacqueline. I can't stop saying her name. You can't. Like that. Jacqueline's uh. uninvited. She's like, I'm not going to Thanksgiving. Don't even ask me. She, she's going to write. I come to Thanksgiving in shadow. A formal invitation that says, I'm not coming to Thanksgiving. Don't ask me. XOXO, Jax. I love her. Jacqueline. We're going back in time again. Back in time. Rewind. How is this the first time that I've done that? I don't know. We're going back in because time. Because I always steamroll it with rewind. Eind, eind, That's eind. What I yeah, that works. Can I just tell you a really quick story? Is it about Daisy pooping? No. <laughs> Wait, can I just stop you for one second? Because Tara gives us um, a Mrs. White. She literally goes, I hated him so, so much. much. <laughs> Girl, Wild Grain is the sponsor this week. I know you are very excited to talk about it. I'm gonna shut the I'm gonna shut the hell up. I've been dying to talk about this. So Wild Grain is the first ever bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. Let me tell you, we had the croissant, we had the sourdough baguette, we had the sourdough loaf. Each item, you bake it right from frozen in 25 minutes or less. There's no thawing required. What is like the word for foodie for people who just like bread? Because that is Steve. Steve is a bready. When we got our wild grain box Steve tore actually Golden tore it open he was like Golden smelled the bread tore the mm-hmm. thing open we popped the baguette right in the, I'm a baguette and yeah. I we devoured that baguette in 30 seconds and you've been dying to talk about this for weeks like you, this is the real deal fam Jillian's like signed up for this for life yeah Mike may I'm not kidding my hand to, I swear yesterday Mike was just like I'm a little hungry like a snack he wanted was the yeah. last sourdough baguette we had and I'm like we have to order more because I don't know how we're going to survive without it so fam you can fully custom your wild grain box so you can get any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries you like. If you want a box full of bread, all pasta, all pastries, you can have it. That's right. And plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash TCO to start your subscription. You heard her. Free croissants yeah. in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash TCO. That's wildgrain.com slash TCO or you can use promo code TCO at checkout. 